You're listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. Father, today we ask you to come and to have your way here. We are a bunch of people that want to know you and know you more and to honor you with our lives. Lord, we want to please you and we ask that today as we study your word that you would illuminate it to us, that you would cause light to shine in our hearts, that you would cause us to hear your voice, and that we would grow into maturity in you. Father, we ask for your wisdom today, and we thank you that you're teaching us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so today, like I said, we're talking about spiritual warfare. The title is basically a powerful, straightforward spiritual warfare. And um, very often, spiritual warfare, as I've grown up and I've heard people tell stories about angels and demons and activity. For instance, I went to college with a guy and I played basketball and he came over from Australia. He was a, just a, a stud athlete. He was a, a monster point guard and he got a full ride scholarship to this D1 school that we were at and so obviously he, he took that. But this guy was an atheist, didn't know, didn't know about the Lord, didn't care, uh, was living for himself and taking other people down along with him. Um, so he comes to this school, and I went to a school called Oral Roberts University, and it's a Christian school. And so he comes to ORU in Tulsa, Oklahoma, from Australia, not giving a darn about Jesus or about the kingdom of God or whatever. He just wanted free education. So as he, he comes, his first year, he's laying in bed one night, and he had his own dorm room, and he's laying there, getting ready to fall asleep, lights are out, and all of a sudden, he's just totally pinned down in his bed. Can't move. He, he literally couldn't speak. He couldn't make a sound out of his mouth. He said he wanted to scream, but he couldn't because he was just, just glued to his bed. He said it was like five tons were on his chest, and he was just having this crazy experience. Well, through that experience, he came to know Christ that year, and these five, six years later, he's an amazing man of God. He's grown in maturity. He loves the Lord. He's He's married and has a kid, and, and they're doing great serving Jesus. So I hear stories like that. I mean, I've never been laying in bed and been pinned down like five tons was on my chest, and I couldn't speak, and, and was, he was freaking out. I've, I've never had that. And so when you hear about spiritual warfare, at least when I have heard about spiritual warfare, sometimes it's felt a little bit inaccessible to me. It's felt like, yeah, that's a, kind of a secret society. If you're spiritual enough, then you can partake in spiritual warfare, but... If you don't get it, then you're just kind of left out. That's how I felt. But spiritual warfare is real. And we need to act like it's real. We need to live like it's real. All throughout Scripture, if you read the Bible, you see, you see passages that talk about spiritual warfare. For instance, James 4, 7 says, Submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Well, if there's no spiritual warfare, why do we need to resist the devil? If it's not a reality, then... It would seem that we could just do whatever we want and we'll be fine. You know, as long as we've been saved and prayed the prayer, then we're in. But the Bible is, is fraught with passages on spiritual warfare and how we interact with it. So today the goal in this talk is to demystify it a little bit. To, to strip it down and to make it accessible for all of us. And to talk about how we're all involved in it and how we can partake with the Lord in spiritual warfare. So the first thing, that, the first major point in this talk today is that when talking about spiritual warfare, 
it's totally important to understand and to have as a foundation that the war was won for us at the cross. That it's done. That when Christ Jesus came and gave his life for sinful humanity, he took all of our sins on him in his own body and he nailed them to the cross. In that moment when he, when he was getting ready to die, the scripture says that he, just before he breathed his last, he said, it is finished and he died. And in that moment, it was finished. It was done. If you're sick in your body, Christ paid for it. It was finished and it is finished. If you're tormented in your mind, it's been paid for. It is finished. You have won. If, you're, if your finances are jacked up and you, you can't pay the bills and, and you feel like you're going to live in poverty for the rest of your life, it's not true. It's been finished. Christ paid for it. You have won. I have won. We are overcomers through Christ. Colossians 2.13-15 says, When we were all dead in our sins... And in the uncircumcision, uncircumcision of our sinful nature, God made us alive with Christ. He forgave us all of our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the demonic powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them at the cross. That, that scripture right there is saying, look, it is finished, it is done, you have won. And it's still at the same time, the second point is that we still have to overcome. We still have to fight battles in our lives and overcome by the power of Christ that's at work in us. So it's this, it's this weird dynamic that we have won, that it's been finished, but we still have to keep winning in life. While we're here in this earth, we keep, still keep having to walk it out on a daily basis and overcome the battles that we face. Ephesians 6.10, is, it's a really familiar passage, kind of famous. It's this armor of God discussion that maybe some of you have heard about. I want to read it in the message translation, and hopefully we can get it up there on the screen. Again, it's Ephesians 6.10. It says, God is strong, and he wants you strong. So take everything the master has set out for you, well-made weapons of the best materials. And put them to use so that you will be able to stand up against everything the devil throws your way. This is no afternoon athletic contest that we'll walk away from and forget about in a couple of hours. This is for keeps, a life or death fight to the finish against the devil and all his angels. Be prepared. You're up against far more than you can handle on your own. Take all the help you can get, every weapon God has issued, so that when it's all over, you'll still be on your feet. Truth, righteousness, peace, faith, and salvation are more than words. Learn how to apply them. You'll need them throughout your life. See, this passage is saying, look, God has given you armor, and it's really important that you learn how to use them, that you take it seriously. We're in a life or death fight, and we've got to overcome. And we can overcome. We just have to learn how to use the armor that he's given us. Let's talk about this armor. It, scripture says that there's a helmet of salvation. And uh, just picture like a real armor. You know, you put on a helmet to protect your head. The, this helmet of salvation, I believe, is the start. That when you, when you receive Christ, when you come into Christ and, and take him as your Lord and Savior, that is salvation. That's the beginning. That's the commencement of your walk with him. So it says, put on the helmet of salvation. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. Trust in him and you will be saved. And then it talks about the shield of faith. And you, you, by putting your faith in Christ, you're, you're shielding yourself. 
You're, you're hiding yourself, like Psalm 91 talks about, under the shadow of the Almighty God. You take up the shield of faith, and you have to do it. You have to put your faith in Christ. It's not like God's going to slap it on you and make you trust in Him or make you believe in Him. It's an act that every human has the choice to make or not to. So by putting your faith in Christ, you're taking up a shield that will protect you, that will defend you. Then it talks about the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So you take the Bible and you, you speak the Word of God and it's like a sword. So as you take the Word and you say, Father, thank you that your Word says that I am, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That I've been delivered from sin and from death. And that Jesus Christ is my advocate. You're swinging, you're swinging the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. And it's nothing that you have to conjure up. It's just all right here. And it's by putting faith in this Word, the eternal Word of God, that you fight the enemy. Then you put on the breastplate of righteousness it talks about. The, the breastplate in, in fighting protects your internal organs. It, it protects your heart. Your, all the important stuff that's compacted right here, you've you got to have the breastplate on. And, and the breastplate is righteousness. So as you live in righteousness and you live in Christ Jesus and you do what his word says, you're protecting yourself. You're guarding your, your spiritual organs, if you will. Then it talks about the belt of truth. And the truth is the word of God. So... As you, as you get up and you go about your day, you say, Lord, thank you for the belt of truth. I'm going to tell the truth today. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to be a deceiver. I'm not going to manipulate people. I'm not going to mislead people to try to get the advantage. I'm going to tell the truth. I'm going to trust in your truth. And I believe that it's going to protect me. And that's where you're safest, right there. Then it talks, the last piece of armor, it talks about the gospel shoes of peace. That as you walk around, your feet are shod. They're, they're, they're guarded by these shoes that are peace. And so... The, the prayer that I would pray is, Father, I, I want to be at peace with you. Thank you for making peace through the cross, through Christ Jesus, between you and me. And I receive that. I receive redemption. And I receive fellowship with you. And now, Lord, help me to be at peace with my fellow man. Help me to be at peace with my neighbors. Help me to be at peace with my wife. Help me to be at peace with everyone that I encounter in my day. So this armor is not too overly spiritual and out there. It's very practical with how we live in our daily lives. It's salvation. It's faith. It's the word of God. It's righteousness. It's truth. It's peace. So these, these pieces of armor are things that we get to use every single day of our lives. Side note for this passage, the emphasis in Ephesians chapter 6, the armor of God, is not on taking new ground. It's not, I'm going to go out on a journey and overcome the enemy and fight. It's standing firm. And it's about maintaining the ground that has been given to you through the cross of Christ Jesus. So it's about standing. It's not about venturing out and having to fight these battles in, in foreign country. It's about standing right where you are in the life that God has given you and using these weapons to hold the ground that Christ has given you through the cross. Now, I believe that there are two kinds of spiritual warfare. I think there's a preemptive spiritual warfare and I believe that there's a reactive kind of spiritual warfare. And the talk, the talk today that I'm giving is a focus on the preemptive spiritual warfare. And what I mean by this is, uh, for instance, it, you, know, you get a phone call that your, your friend is sick with some sort of a terminal disease. And I got a call this, this last week from a friend of mine whose mother-in-law is diagnosed with stage 3 cancer. And, you know, let's, let's get to praying. And we have been praying. And I believe that that's a reactive, you know, something bad happens and you start praying and you start fighting against the enemy. And that's perfect. That's wonderful. You have to do it. But today's talk is a preemptive talk. 
that as we live our lives, we can continue to combat the enemy and hold him at bay on an on a hourly basis, on a minute-by-minute basis by the decisions we make, we can fight the battle. I think the most important thing about today's talk that I want to get across is that obedience to God is the greatest kind of spiritual warfare that we could ever do. Just obeying God. It's not some big go to a, a conference and figure out how to use these weapons and spiritual stuff. That's great, but I believe that it's, it's very simple. That if we just obey the word of God, if we find out what he says about how he wants us to live and about who he is and about who we are in Christ Jesus, and we, we do that, I think that's the strongest kind of spiritual warfare we could ever wage. The descriptives that are coupled with these pieces of armor are the evidence that obedience is warfare. Faith, salvation, faith, the word of God, righteousness, truth, peace. Just as you live in obedience to God, you are fighting the enemy. If we do these things, I believe that we stand against the craziness of the devil, the wiles, that King James talks about the, the wiles of the devil, the, the darkness that's out there that's trying to overcome our lives. If we just obey God, then we overcome the devil. See you, babe. Love you. Bye, Lillian. Bye-bye. <laughs> okay, so I want to get it down to where it's practical. How, do, how does spiritual warfare happen in our lives on a daily basis? For instance, in our marriage, and in any marriage, I believe that spiritual warfare is love, loving your spouse like Christ loves the church, serving your spouse, going out of your way to do everything you can to, to, to outserve them and outlove them. I believe it's humility. I believe it's uh, faithfulness. You know, just being faithful in your marriage is spiritual warfare, I believe. That it's preemptive. It's, it's hey, I'm going to love you, I'm going to serve you, and we aren't going to have issues because... Of faithfulness. We're going we're gonna to be trusting of each other because of simple faithfulness. There's a, an example this week. Lisa and I, we have a fantastic marriage. I mean, it's, it's, almost, um, it's almost like a, a, a fiction book, the marriage that we have. It's just incredible. We, we love each other. We have a blast. We, we love Lillian. Um, there's peace in our home. We, I don't think we've ever really fought. We've We've des- definitely disagreed and, and had different opinions, but we've never you know, raised our voice or screamed at each other. And I'm not saying we're awesome, you should come to our marriage conference. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is we love marriage and we have a great time. But the start of this week, we could just tell that it wasn't spoken, but there was just kind of a funkiness. It, was, it just wasn't, it wasn't as smooth as it normally is. And there was kind of a tension there. And whenever she would say something, I'd kind of be quick to to get bothered or I was, I was just defensive against her and I, and I didn't like that, but it was the reality of the week. So Wednesday night, right before we went to bed, we were just laying there and I said, Lisa, I just want to say, I am so sorry. We, you've kind of felt it, right? She's like, yeah, I've kind of felt it. And, And I said, I don't know what it is. You didn't do anything to me. I don't know that I did anything to you. If I did, I'm sorry, but, but let's just stop. Let's, let's be nice. Let's have fun. She's like, okay, that's great. And by talking about that and by repenting, I repented if I, you know, had done anything to rub, rub her the wrong way or just bother her. And just right after that, it was, it was, the power of that was killed. It was over with. And we've had an incredible week. 
Well, I think that's a simple preemptive spiritual warfare that, look, right when you know something's wrong, repent. Go to, go to the other person and say, I'm sorry I was wrong. Please forgive me. I want to be in fellowship with you. I want to be right with you. And I think that that's one of the very practical ways that in your relationships or in any kind of relationship you have, you can do spiritual warfare. In your finances, spiritual warfare is honesty. It's not stealing. I think spiritual warfare is self-control and, and discipline. I think that it's stewardship. I think that it's generosity. I think, I think we can think about spiritual warfare in a very simple, biblical, daily application kind of a way. In your health, it's eating right. <laughs> it's, it's taking care of your body. It's exercising. It's self-control. It's obeying the Sabbath. A lot of people, they, they eat right and they exercise and all that, but they don't ever rest. And I think that they are dishonoring God by not obeying the Sabbath. So by simply obeying the Sabbath and resting a day of the week, you, you are doing spiritual warfare against the enemy who would love to overtake you. Very often people get so tired because they never rest. They're just going, going, going. And they love the Lord and they want to please the Lord, but they get so weak physically, it becomes a spiritual weakness and they end up falling into sin and messing their lives up just by not obeying the Sabbath. Sometimes you can trace it back to that. So I think that, you know, if, if, if your health is bad, you know, pray all you want. But if you eat nine Big Macs a day, you're going to die early. You know, if your finances are terrible, you know, command the spirit of poverty to leave your life every day, a thousand times a day. But if you don't have a job and you're racking up credit card debt and you're buying everything you see, it ain't going to work. If your marriage is struggling and, and you're running around and doing crazy things with other people that you shouldn't be, you know, pray, pray for a, a spirit, the peace of God to rest in your home all you want, but it's not going to happen. I think that obedience is the thing that fights the enemy back from our lives. As we obey the Lord, as we trust in him, as we get up and seek him every day, and we, we, we read his word and we hide it in our hearts. Psalm 119 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So as you seek the Lord and study to know him, you're actually fighting the enemy. As you love one another, as you turn the other cheek, you're actually fighting the enemy. As you go out of your way to serve people, you're actually fighting the enemy back. You're taking away the power of the enemy, and you're using these weapons that Christ has given us. There's a, a friend of mine whose uh, dad just has been a real, real dork for the last couple of years. And he's been lying to the family, and he's been having an affair. And they actually caught him. And he's still lying about it and acting like he's not. Well, he took off, left the family, moved to another state. Just a whole big mess. And the family's reeling, and it's just terrible. And this guy is a, just a, he's a spiritual guy. He loves the Lord. He's, you know, a man of God and all this. And he's living in another state with another woman. And his family's here. And I sent him a text message. And, uh, I bumped into him, and, and actually he sent me a text message later in the day and thanked me for being kind to him and all this. And, and he proceeded to say, you know, the Lord's going to get me through this. Um, you know, uh, God's going to see me through. It's going to work out just fine. Thanks for your kindness, bud. And, and, and I'm sitting there reading this text message thinking, okay, the Lord's going to see you through this. But you're sleeping with another woman in another state. You've 
dishonored God by leaving your family, and they're struggling and wondering how they're going to make it happen. And yet you're using this spiritual jargon that, you know, God's going to see me through and his grace is sufficient. And his grace is sufficient. But his grace, I, I believe, is held at bay when we're living in willful sin. When we, when we stiff-arm God and say, I'm going to do whatever I want, whenever I want to do it, and you're going to stay over there and I'm not going to obey you, his grace is right here and it's ready. And his grace is more powerful than our sin. But when we say, no, I don't want your grace, no, I'm going to stand against you by the way I live, then it's not effective in our lives. It doesn't work. God doesn't force his grace on anyone and make people live right. We have the decision whether or not we're going to be honorable whether or not we're going to study to seek the Lord, whether or not we're going to tell the truth, whether or not we're going to be kind to our neighbor. If, if we do those things, then our obedience is opening up the door for God to, to have his work in our lives. But when we, when we turn against him and say, I'm, I'm going away from you, don't even try to have your way in my life, then to say God will see me through this is foolishness because you've said, God, don't see me through this. By your actions, you're saying, stop seeing me through this. Stop being gracious to me. Cut off your blessing from my life and your protection and your salvation. The work of the cross. By the way we live, we can do that. So the emphasis of today's talk is just obedience is what unlocks the door to the blessing of God and to the the protection of God and to fighting back the enemy that wants to destroy our lives. There's a really neat passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 you could put that up on the screen this is again the message translation and um, it says the world is unprincipled it's dog eat dog out there the world doesn't fight fair but we don't live or fight our battles that way never have and never will the tools of our trade aren't for marketing or manipulation but they are for demolishing that entire massively corrupt culture that we live in we use the powerful god tools for smashing warped philosophies tearing down barriers erected against the truth of God, fitting every loose thought and emotion and impulse into the structure of life shaped by Christ. Our tools are ready at hand for clearing the ground of every, every obstruction and building lives of obedience into maturity. This, this passage right here, I think, is another very practical way that we can do spiritual warfare, by taking captive every thought that comes into our mind. You, you guys know how sometimes... You'll just be going about your day not thinking about anything spiritual or not any, anything bad, per se. And all of a sudden, a terrible thought comes in your mind, just almost out of nowhere. Has, has anyone in here ever experienced that? Please. Okay. Like half of you. Okay, so you're going about... Yeah, I, this happens to me all the time, and it's like, what in the heck? You know, I wasn't, like, wanting to think a bad thought there. I wasn't... I didn't watch anything terrible last night that l- led me to have this thought today, but it just comes. Well, that's an attack from the enemy. That's something that the devil's trying to throw our way to see what we'll do with it. And this passage is saying, look, when that thought comes, take it captive unto the obedience of Christ. It said, take those things that try to set themselves up against the knowledge of God and tear them down, bring them down in obedience and say, bow your knee to Jesus. Well, like last night, I went out on a run and I, it was nine o'clock and I put Lily into bed and Lisa was just winding down and so I went out on a run, and I started having these, these thoughts like, oh, gosh, this is such a bad economy. What if, you know, what if the gas prices go to $8 a gallon and we can't pay the bills? And what if the house, you know, just, I was just on a run. I wasn't thinking about anything except, or until the enemy came and said, look, 
you, you guys might go broke. You might lose it all. Your family might suffer. Your daughter might not have food to eat. And, and that messes with dads, <laughs> you know, thinking their little 15-month-old can't eat. So I'm running, and all of a sudden, I'm, I'm starting to get into this flow of, oh, gosh, well, what if this happens? Well, what and, and it's like the Lord said, hello, Daniel. Remember what you're talking about tomorrow? And it's like, oh, yeah. And then I started taking this scripture right here, 2 Corinthians 10, and I started saying, Father, in the name of Jesus, I take these thoughts captive unto the obedience of Christ. It's not of Christ to believe that my family's not going to be able to make it. Your word says that I've never seen the righteous forsaken. I've never seen his children out begging for bread. And Father, I just trust that you are my God and you're my father. I'm your son. You're going to take care of me. And Father, I repent for believing that the enemy is stronger than you. And, and I just started taking these thoughts captive. And it took about five minutes and I just spoke the word to it. And all of a sudden, this peace came on me like a blanket. And I'm, I'm on this run. And five minutes earlier, I was tormented and fearful and wondering if we were going to be able to make it. And five minutes later, after just applying the word of God and taking those thoughts captive unto the obedience of Christ, life got great. And I believe that that can happen 50 times a day. Every time we have these, these thoughts that come into our minds that are anti-Christ, that are opposed to Christ, that are not in line with his word, all we do is take the word and say, "Uh -uh, not happening. This is not the will of God. And the will of God, in fact, is that. And then insert the will of God here, and you'll win. And I I really think that it's it's something that is so normal. It's not not laying down a bed, being pinned down by a, a demonic entity or whatever that it's it's not that spooky and ethereal and out there it's right here in our daily lives and i just want everyone to start thinking okay how can i fight the enemy with what god has given me with these we these weapons with faith with salvation with the truth with righteousness how can being righteous just stand against the enemy think about how you can live your life in a righteous way and fight back the enemy is this making sense to anyone am i am i Okay, But I do want to clarify that there are people who are tormented by the enemy and who have been living in years' worth of these patterns that, that they, they can't get free and they're in this cycle of demonic oppression. And, and, and it's because they've lived their lives sometimes in a way for so long that they, they see through this grid of deception and, and sin and they can't get free. So I'm not saying... Yeah, spiritual warfare is just, yeah, it's just, you know, there's, there's never a battle. There's never struggles. If you just obey God, it's going to be easy and fun. And you're gonna, your bank account's going to be full all the time. And you're always going to be healthy and love life. That's not what I'm saying. You know, people do need to be set free from patterns that they've lived in for years on end. And, and there is a process to walk people through in that. And it takes them first seeing it. And it takes them repenting and backing out of the sin that they've lived in. And so people can be set free from long patterns. But I'm talking about a preemptive day-to-day spiritual warfare for people that love the Lord and who want to keep overcoming. I want to read 1 Samuel 15. This is a passage about King Saul. And it's going to, I'm going to read 23 verses, so please stick with me. Uh, it's really, really good stuff. This is the chapter where the Lord rejected Saul as king, where he said, okay, I'm done with you because of your obstinate heart. 
So let's pick up in verse 1 of 1 Samuel 15. It says, Samuel said to Saul, Samuel the prophet who had anointed him previously. So Samuel comes to Saul again and says, I am the one the Lord sent to anoint you king over his people Israel. So listen now to the message from the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them and when they came up from Egypt. Now go attack the Amalekites and totally destroy everything. That's a key phrase there. And totally destroy everything that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to death men and women, children and infants, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys. So Saul summoned the men and mustered them at Telaim, 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men from Judah. Saul went to the city of Amalek and set an ambush in the ravine. Then he said to the Kenites, Go away, leave the Amalekites, so that I do not destroy you along with them. For you showed kindness to all the Israelites when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites moved away from the Amalekites. Then Saul attacked the Amalekites all the way from Havilah to Shur to the east of Egypt. He took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive. Emphasis on the word alive. And all his people he totally destroyed with the sword. But Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and cattle, the fat calves and lambs, everything that was good. These they were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak they totally destroyed. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I am grieved that I have made Saul king, because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was troubled, and he cried out to the Lord all that night. Early in the morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul, but he was told, Saul has gone to Carmel. There he has set up a monument in his own honor and has turned and gone on down to Gilgal. When Samuel reached him, Saul said, The Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. Isn't that kind of an odd greeting? <laughs> what if I just walked up to you and the first thing I say is, The Lord bless you. I am totally obedient to God. Okay. Hi. <laughs> but Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears? What is this lowing of cattle that I hear? Saul answered, The soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God. But we totally destroyed the rest. Stop, Samuel said to Saul. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Tell me, Saul replied. Samuel said, Although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and he sent you on a mission saying, Go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Make war on them till you, you have wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? But I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission and the, the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back King Agag, their king. Hello. I completely destroyed them and I brought their king back. No, you didn't completely destroy them. Because <laughs> Agag's right over there. The soldiers took the sheep and the cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God, in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. But Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed 
is better than the fat of rams. This passage to me screams obedience, 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 obedience. God cares about obedience. God doesn't care if you have a million dollars and you bring it to the church and give it in the offering if you're out being crazy. As great as the million dollars is, God does not look at the million dollars. He looks at obedience in our hearts. Saul several times, I mean, right there in his first greeting to Samuel, I have obeyed the Lord. God bless you, brother. Yet King Agag standing right there. Then he kind of turns it on his guys and he said, you know, they brought all the sheep and cattle back. I, you know, I, I kind of told them they needed to kill them, but they brought them back. And we're going to sacrifice them to God. It's going to be great, man. We're going to go have this big spiritual show at the temple. And it's going to be beautiful. And the people are going to give praise to God. And it's going to be just an awesome display of what God can do against our enemies. Well, God wanted everything wiped out. God didn't want any rams and, and sheep to come back and get sacrificed in the temple. He wanted immediate obedience to his instructions. And very often we can think, you know, I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go serve the Lord and I'm going to go to the middle Sunday school and I'm going to go Friday nights and I'm going to pray and fast occasionally and I'm going to read a, uh, you know, a proverb a day and, and that's all great. That's wonderful stuff. I'm not downplaying any of the spiritual stuff that we do, the activities. But at the end of the day, the most important thing is our hearts. And are we obedient to God? And have we read his word and understood what he wants out of our lives and have we done that thing there's this guy that i know and his uh his name is terry and you would see him he's he's late 50s he's kind of a a hippie he wears ratty shorts and t-shirts and uh just kind of a funny guy he's you look at him and go wow you know does he have a job? You would, you would honestly wonder. And Terry is a guy who is passionately in love with Jesus. I mean, prays sometimes over 20 hours a week. This guy is a spiritual monster. And I get together with him probably every other month. And he always, every time I leave being with Terry, I'm just encouraged. I'm ready to take on the world for the kingdom of God and, and spread the fame of Jesus. This guy is just inspiring in every way to me. But I've always kind of wondered, I kind of know that he works, but I wonder what he does. And I have wondered, and and because of the shorts and the t-shirt and the hippie thing, I thought, man, does this guy just pray all the time? Is that what he considers his work? You know, is that how he tells people, you know, I've got a job, I've got a business, and I actually just go to the prayer center all the time and pray. That's my business. And so I said to him at lunch this week, I said, Terry, now tell me more specifically what, what it is you do. And he said, well, I have, I have some rent, a couple of rent houses. And I said, oh, cool. So I'm thinking, okay, rent houses, he's got to pay the mortgage. Uh, does he just charge like $200 more on the mortgage and that be a part of his income? Does he just do that a couple times? And boy, how could he pay the bills on six or $800 a month? And so my wheels are turning as he's telling me what he does. And I so I, that's all he gave me, and I kind of dug a little bit more. I said, okay, Terry, but how do you make money? How do you feed your family? Because he's got wife and three or four kids. And he said, well, you know, I, I have rent houses. Okay, so help me with the practicals. I, I said, Terry, if I'm overcross, overstepping the line, forgive me. You don't have to answer anything if you don't feel comfortable answering it. 
And he said, well, I, you know, people pay their rent and that's how I live. I said, but how do you, I said, first off, how many homes do you have? Because I was trying to do the math. And he said, well, I have nine homes. And I said, oh, great. Wow, that's big time. And, and um, okay, what do you charge people over what you have to pay for the mortgage? And he said, well, I actually own all of them outright. And so um, whatever comes in is just my income. And I'm going, nine houses, you free and clear, no debt, no mortgage, no paying the bank. And he said, yeah, you know, God's just been really good to me and, and praise God. And he just kind of left it at that. But I was like, Terry, come, Terry, how do you own nine homes? And, and four or five of them are in Hawaii. He's got one in Kansas City and uh, three or four here. And what? You own nine homes? And he said, yeah, you know, I, I grew up in Hawaii. And he said, honestly, for my whole life till about 10 years ago, I was a nail pounder. He said, I, I didn't, all I did was just, I built the homes uh, for this construction guy who's really rich, not the homes that he owns now. But all he did was manual labor for an hourly wage for most of his life. But then he said, as I was just pounding nails, he said, I would bring the Bible and I would just read the Bible all day. And he said, I'd be pounding and building and I'd be reading my Bible and doing my thing and just and then he said and I close it for an hour or so and just pray and just God okay I just saw God that you you want me to be faithful to my wife so Lord please help me to be faithful to her help me to not just be faithful to her with my body but help me to be faithful with my mind and with my spirit and so he'd read about that and then he'd pray about that and then another hour he'd be reading about you know serving or whatever sacrifice and he would just pray through the things that he saw in the Bible and he said, as I started reading the Bible, I really felt like God, I, it just became clear to me that God wanted me to prosper and that God wanted me to, to lend to people but not have to borrow. And he said, I just took it seriously. I thought, wow, man, this is, this is pretty cool. You know, God wants me to actually be able to give people money and not have to take, pe- take money from people or from banks or from whatever. So he said, I just got really serious about that on my house, my one house that I had. And he said, so every, you know, I would save like crazy. I would work hard and I would save. And my wife and I, we were in it together. And we, we had a goal. We were going to pay this house down. And we were going to do it as fast as we could. And he said, as we made that commitment, as we sought the Lord on that, having really believed that, that that's what he wanted for us, then it just started happening. He said, it accelerated like crazy. So they got their first one owned and then they moved here. And he said he just started doing that time after time. And he said, I, you know, I haven't been doing any huge business deals. I haven't, like, inherited half of Florida and sold it so I could own my homes. And he, he, I just have been saving and working hard and trusting God. And he said, I tithe and I give offerings every opportunity I have. And somehow God keeps dumping it back on me. I keep trying to give it away and it keeps coming back. And I keep trying to give it away and it keeps coming back. So we just started buying these homes and paying them all off. And I'm sitting here going, you know, this is like 10, 12-year span of time. And he said in 2000, we got to where all nine of them were totally paid off. And ever since then, it's just been, you know, cash coming in. And he said, Daniel, I said, man, that sounds like Matthew 6.33 to me. You know, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything else will be added to you. And he said, Daniel, I cannot tell you how true that scripture is. He said, 
that scripture, I've known it for about 30 years, but every year it's gotten more real to me. And, and God is an extravagant giver. God loves to take care and bless his people. And he said, that scripture just will blow you out of the water how true that thing is. So Terry is this really simple hippie guy that wears shorts and a t-shirt all the time and just prays his face off and owns nine homes outright. And he said, honestly, Daniel, I went from being a nail pounder and God, I just read the Bible and did what it said as best as I could. And God has blessed me. And I just, I left that lunch and I called my wife right in the car and I said, get this story, Terry, you know, the guy who I've wondered is just like a, a prayer guy that doesn't have any money, who doesn't, can he feed his family? You know that guy? She's like, yeah. I was like, he owns nine homes outright. And he seeks the Lord and prays 20, 30 hours a week sometimes. And he's telling me that all he did was read the Bible and just obey God. Just simple obedience at every turn. He wanted, his heart's desire was, God, I want to obey you. I want to honor you. I want to bring you glory in my life. And God, if there's anything in me that's not like you, strip it away from me right now. I don't want to live in sin. I don't want to live in darkness. I want to be clean and I want to be pure and I want to honor you. And he said, Daniel, that... That's the basis of my life. That's all that I've done. That's all that I've aspired to do. And look at what God has done. And he was embarrassed to even let the cat out of the bag. But I pressed him. I I wanted to hear a little bit more how he could do this, how he could live this way, just pray all the time. And he was just so timid and humble about it. But he just said, I have to give God the glory. I've just tried to obey him as best I can. And that has led to this life of amazing blessing and connection with him and my family and i just over and over all i see this theme of obedience 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 is better than sacrifice obedience is better than being a perfect church attendee obedience is better than praying in public and looking great to everyone but doing your your stuff on the side in secret obedience is the key to fellowship with god and i believe that it is the key to hold back the enemy in our lives and i believe that through obedience we win It's already happened. We have won, but we still have to keep winning in this life. And we don't have to do it on our own. We don't have to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps and and buck up and be strong and resist the devil all by ourselves. We do it with this armor, with obedience, with faith, with prayer, with salvation, with truth, telling the truth, with walking in peace with God and with people. And through that simple act of obedience... We win. It's God's will. It's how he's designed it. Spiritual warfare doesn't have to be attending a conference in, in Jerusalem and figuring out how to uh, you know, say the right prayers in the right succession and then you win. Spiritual warfare is obeying God. And it's living a life of purity. And it's when you sin, repent quickly. 1 John 2 is one of my favorite passages. Verse 1 and 2 it says, Now, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. This is John saying, I'm writing you this letter so that you don't sin. But almost as if to say, I know you will, he says. But if anyone does sin, you have one, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and for the sins of the whole world. So this, he he has paid the price for our sins. And John is saying, look, I really don't want you to sin. 
That's why I'm writing you. But I know that you will sin. And because I know you will sin, and Jesus knows that too, he's speaking to the Father. He came and died to pay for it. And he is your defense. And he has paid for us. So I'm not saying obedience means you have to live a perfect life and never sin from August 31st, 08 on until you go be with Jesus. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is it's an attitude, Lord, I want to obey you. Lord, I want to be right by you. Not by my goodness, but by your grace. So Lord, help me to walk this life of obedience. And so if you guys are okay, I I just want us to all kind of get in agreement in prayer about this topic because I think that this is a foundation for everything. I think you build families, you know, uh, strong families on top of a foundation of obedience to God. I think you build businesses on top of a foundation of obedience to God. I think you build relationships on top of a foundation of simple individual obedience to God. Everything stacks up on top of this. And so let's pray and and ask the Lord to give us hearts of obedience and to change us where he needs to change us and to help us overcome the enemy. Father, right now we come before you this morning as the Mill Sunday School and we've seen your word and we really believe that obedience is a big deal to you. That you care more about obedience than you do spiritual show or sacrifice or attending church or whatever. You want obedience more than anything. And so, Father, we come to you and we repent where we haven't been obedient. Now, right now, just take 30 seconds and, and just kind of talk to the Lord yourself under your breath. And if there's anything you need to repent for that you know that's been in your life that hasn't been of him, just repent. Having repented, we thank you that you've washed us, that you've cleansed us from our sin. Your word says that if any man or any woman is in Christ, he is a new creation. Everything old is gone and the new has come. So Lord, we receive the newness of life in Christ Jesus that you have given us. And Lord, we say from this day on, we want to be people of obedience, of immediate obedience, of specific, exact, to the T obedience. We don't want to kill every, everyone that's weak and then bring back the king and the cool rams and the sheep and the goats. We don't want to do partial obedience. We want to obey everything that you have spoken to us. Lord, we know that we can only do it by your grace. And so we say as a group, Lord, create in us clean hearts. Renew right spirits within us. Lord, if there's anything that's in us that's not like you, search us and strip it out of us and get it out. God, even if it hurts, even if it's ugly at times and it causes this kind of domino effect in our lives and it's uncomfortable for a time, we want to be clean. So it's worth it, Lord. Have your way. We give you permission to, to rip out of us everything that's not like you. And Lord, your word says that you take away our heart of stone our heart of darkness and you give us a heart of flesh a heart of a tender and soft heart toward you and so lord we ask as a group lord that you would give us tender hearts toward you to obey you and to please you and lord we thank you that as we obey you 
you make it so that we're actually fighting the enemy. <laughs> we don't have to try to think about two things at once. It's just obey me, and as we obey you, it happens. Life works. And so, Lord, we just pray that a spirit of obedience would be poured out on us, that we would be people that passionately want to please you and be right before you and to serve you with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength. Lord, we thank you today for your word. We thank you that it's eternal, that it never ends, and that is the only plumb line that we have for life. So we choose, Lord, to believe you and to trust you and to put our faith in you. And Lord, we love you today. Thank you for putting a heart of obedience inside of us. In Jesus' name, amen.